Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Thank you so much for, for joining me and coming on to Chapter Mentally Yours. Really appreciate you um, taking time. No problem. How have you been getting on uh, during the pandemic and lockdown in general? With the, the pandemic and lockdown, I think as somebody who has suffered depression and obviously bipolar now for a number of years, I'm so used to being isolated. So it's almost like on one hand, I feel like I'm trained for this. So when it all happened, I was just cool about it because I'm quite used to being isolated, um, mainly because of my own doing. However, there have been moments where it's just hit me out of the blue and I felt quite sort of panicked or anxious or tearful. Could be something that is triggered off the telly or something like that. And you're just like, my gosh, this is really happening. Yeah, I found it quite a roller coaster. Like even more so than just just normally living with bipolar disorder. It's sort of that's a bit of a roller coaster. But this has felt like on top of that, like an extra layer of right sort of you know stress and everything. But yeah, I guess, exactly. But I guess everybody's sort of been feeling a bit like that, like regardless of what they they have or don't have. Yeah, I think this for the first time there'll be a lot of people experiencing anxiety and depression who would never have felt those feelings before <laughs> you know especially coming out of this I think it's the second pandemic personally um let's talk about you more though uh, you've had a fascinating career um could you please start by telling us about um that from cliche to CITB and up till today oh wow <laughs> That's just, a lot. just briefly <laughs> Well, I uh, got in a girl band, signed to Sony Music. When I was about 12 years old, my cousins and I, the three of us all together, 
we were discovered singing at a family party. We kind of decided to get into a girl band. So it was just all very organic. We rehearsed and rehearsed, gave away a lot of our childhoods for many years, but loved it until we got signed about the age of 15, 16. And we released some songs in the charts and we had a great time. We toured with Lionel Richie and we, we had music videos and billboard posters. And this was the days where there wasn't social media. So it's, it's really difficult. It's such a shame to not be able to have all those videos and pictures and things like that that people have now. This was in the 90s. Once the group ended, it was about 2001 about a year or so after the group ended, that's when I got into TV. I saw an advert for CITV on the telly, that's Children's ITV, and I was actually really depressed. I didn't want to send in my tape. I'd done a tape at that point, a showreel, which literally was a VHS. (laughs) And, um, you know, showreels are only supposed to be a couple of minutes long. This was like half an hour, 40 minutes of me just doing random stuff, interviewing people and just doing random things. And, um, you know, sent my tape off on the very last day, just sort of pushed myself to do it. Really depressed because the group had ended, we'd lost our record deal. And uh, that was the first time that I could really remember suffering depression. But I sent the tape in and I don't know, it was months later, it, it fell at least. I then get a call asking for an audition. So I went up to Birmingham, got the audition and and then went through weeks of, uh, you know, like X Factor style auditions, things like that. And it was the very beginning of um, it was the very beginning of like reality TV. So, yeah, so the kids, the kids voted me in and I became the first and only black female continuity presenter on CITV in its 40 year history to date, um, which was a great accolade. but in 2020 it's not which I'm sure we'll get onto in a bit mm. but um it was a it was a great experience it was a really great experience and then I got headhunted onto Disney and then from Disney I then started working for BET in America doing red carpets and then I launched BET International across the UK and Europe so I've been a lot first for a lot of things. And, and fortunately, just over 20 years now, I've been a TV presenter. So it's, it's a long journey and it's a journey um, that has come with a lot of adversity, a lot of oppression, sexism, racism. But equally, here I am and I'm still going and I'm grateful. It comes with some great memories as well and great experiences. It sounds really exciting. I have to say, like, I'm just so impressed because, I mean, I've, I've seen your Instagram lives and they're really brilliant as well. And, um, oh, thank you, you know, but obviously, you know, the, it seems like you've kind of had several whole massive careers, you know, like most of us hope for just one half decent yeah. career. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. You had this whole big career in music and then, yeah. which sort of sounds like a sort of British kind of Destiny's Child like type thing. In it was, young yeah, life. yeah, it was. So you had all of that and then you sort of had to sort of start all over again in terms of your career. And then you got CITV and then I know you've sort of gone on to do all kinds of things for sort of yeah. radio and MTV and all sorts of different people. Yeah, just I mean, <laughs> yeah, over the course of 20 years and then obviously having mental illness between then, being diagnosed with bipolar, 
living a double life, the secrecy, rebuilding, not knowing myself and just having to create a, a Leah 2.0, so to speak, while still mm. trying to chase a dream and still breaking down doors and barriers and still having doors slammed in my face, but things I can't help, like the colour of my skin or my gender, you know? Mm. I mean, there's loads to cover that I want to chat to you about, but could we start off just by talking a bit about um, your bipolar disorder and when did you uh, realise that sort of um, basically you needed some help and when were you diagnosed? Because I know people aren't always diagnosed for a while. Yeah, I was diagnosed with bipolar eight years ago, but before that I was suffering depression consciously, as I say, because I realised at that point it was depression, um, a few years before that. But prior to that, throughout my 20s, I, and this is during, well, like after I'd got CITV and things like that. Actually, no, after cliche, like I said, that was my first bout of depression. But whenever I experienced it, it was always up and down. So I'd be really depressed for seasons and then I'd be really happy and high and always funny, always vivacious, always the life and soul, but then equally could go down the path where I'm just totally depressed, I'm irritable and all the things that come with it. But because of the nature of my job and the nature of my career, like you say, some people would hope for one career and I've had several. <laughs> so that in itself messes with your head as equally as, as it's a great thing as well. And I never want to sound ungrateful. Um, but I always took it that it was just ups and downs of the industry. And it wasn't until I had uh, gone into a job where I was actually producing and I was being bullied by a senior member of staff that anxiety hit me and I'd never experienced anxiety. I'd never experienced panic attacks. I didn't know what it was. I, so, uh, you know, got signed off work. I was very ill. I was having panic attacks all the time and I was very depressed. And so I was given antidepressants and things like that. But within a year or two, I became manic just out of nowhere, really. So it felt and in between that, I was suicidal and, and going through all the stuff. But when I became manic, suddenly, you know yourself, Yvette, you go from this really dark time to suddenly everything is fantastic. And, you know, a minute ago, I couldn't even get up and have a shower or brush my teeth or eat. Or I didn't even know whether I was coming or going. I was suicidal. I'm teary. I'm all over the place. And then next minute, I am happy and I feel free and I feel energized but yet I'm not sleeping and I'm not eating. Over a period of time, I realized something wasn't right. My behavior wasn't right. I was just not behaving as the person that I knew I was um, before. And I actually remembered an episode of EastEnders many years ago where the character Stacey Slater became bipolar. I started showing those symptoms. And somewhere in the midst of this manic episode, I remembered that. And I said, I don't have depression. I've got bipolar. So in many ways, I diagnosed myself and nobody would believe me. My family wouldn't. You know, it's very black, Caribbean, African um, type and Asian uh, culture as well. That is very much played down. It's, it's, it could be shame or embarrassment and things like that. And so my family would just sort of, no, 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 don't say things like that. And 
my doctors weren't listening and nobody was believing really. And I was really afraid that I was going to do something to myself. I was looking out of this window every day that I knew I could jump from. And I was contemplating how I was going to do this, but I was afraid of myself. Deep down, I didn't want to die. And so I wrote a suicide note to my GP because I kept visiting and they kept palming me off with more antidepressants. And on the suicide note, I said, you need to help me today, otherwise I will kill myself. And that was basically the story of how I I got diagnosed in the end. And within half an hour of a psychologist seeing me, he said straight away that you're bipolar, machines break, and you've had a lot happen in your life. You've had many careers. You've had a lot of movement, um, a lot of ups and downs. And it just is what it is. And and that's where I got to with it. That's how the bipolar started. So in the last eight years, I've been rebuilding, rebuilding myself, rebuilding my mind, my career, not even remembering a lot of stuff as well. I think that's trauma where you sort of block things out or disassociate. I was afraid. I was afraid of stigma. I was afraid. I, I thought the industry wouldn't want to work with me, that people wouldn't like me. And in parallel to that, I was winning awards. People were coming to my presenter training academy and they were showing me all this love. And yeah, inside, I just hated myself still and didn't know who I was. But that's all changed now, thankfully, in the last year since I've, I've come out and started speaking about it. There's so much in there. I mean, can we go I back? I know, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I'm so glad that, that you had the time to, to chat to me because, I mean, I mean, I think you're brilliant. And like I said, I think your career is brilliant and everything, and I'm really glad we can chat. Um, but, I mean, in there, you mentioned um, sort of about having to really, really convince your GP to get help. I mean, the lengths that you had to go to, I mean, I don't think any anyone hearing that, including medical staff or whatever, you know, they'd be quite horrified by that. Do you attribute that, do you think, to anything like the kind of the idea of the, the strong black woman that some GPs have? Or do you think this was just sort of your particular GP was just not very good with people in general with mental health issues? I found just generally with my experience with GPs, you know, they are general practitioners. They know quite a bit about depression. They don't know, they don't appear to know so much about other mental illnesses unless they have a personal interest in it. So I've changed doctors so many times over the years and I tend to get the same treatment. In terms of it being a, a race thing, I don't think it was a case of a strong black woman was how it's been seen. But because I am very articulate, that is sometimes, well, a lot of the times held against me. So because I'm not this, even though my thoughts can be nonlinear and I can waffle and I can speak and things like that, equally, when I am speaking, because I'm usually quite coherent, and I seem to have a grasp on my emotions and things like that. I'm seen, it, it's played down a lot. Mm. People sometimes don't realize how ill I actually am. They just think, oh, she's been great because people prefer when I'm in my high to when I'm in my low. That includes my family and my friends. Mm. They, you know, it, it's, the, it's the fun part. As long as she doesn't look like she's in, you know, in danger of herself or anybody else, then she's fine. When I'm depressed, it's a different story. But because I'm very good at expressing, even with doctors, psychologists, therapists, it's always the same thing. And so I've always just tended to be forgotten. And whether that's in my career, whether that's fighting for my mental health, 
it's like I've always had to fight and fight and fight. The amount of times I've been lost in the system for therapy, eight years, in fact, and I'm still waiting because I, I just don't know. But that adds to my mental health issues. It adds to this feeling, this irritation of being forgotten and having to fight all the time, whether it's fight for my career, fight for what I believe in, fight for other people, um, <laughs> you know, fight for, like I said, my health, just everything. And it, it does get really tiring. And I, as a person, whether that's as a woman, whether it's also as, as a black woman and what comes with it, I have had to be tenacious and dig deep at times when I didn't think I could because I ultimately, I do not want to take my own life. I want mm. to live and I want to live a, a, a good life. And I want other people to also know that they can also live a good life if they have a mental illness, that it doesn't have to mean that it's over for us. Because I thought that for many years, that it was over. And actually, there is life after diagnosis. We can make it, but it's so difficult. And it's, you don't always get the support that you would imagine to get unless you are this bumbling wreck or this stereotype of bipolar running down the street half naked, you know, trying to kill people. I don't know all the stereotypes that people think bipolar mm. is. And, and well, that, that is what's difficult. Yeah. And of course, as well, at, at the moment, we have a health system where people aren't being seen a lot of the time until they have reached crisis points. So the sort of things mm. that we're talking about is when, yeah, when people are in sort of quite severe manic episodes or they're suffering psychosis of some kind. Right. Um, whereas when they're in sort of earlier stages um, where they might be sort of gradually sort of their mood, mood is going up or, if, you know, the other way around, if they're sort of feeling depressed, you know, they might be reaching out for help, but but they're not being seen. Yeah. And especially, I mean, it does really worry me. I mean, you mentioned this at the start of this anyway, the, the fact that um, it really worries me that... Um, people aren't really being looked after in terms of their mental health. Um, They're really they not. Have been. And can I, can I just sort of interject quickly? Sorry, Yvette. You know, it, you, we spoke at the beginning about the lockdown. Do you know I haven't once been checked on by a medical professional, not my care coordinators, not my GP. They don't know if I'm taking my medication. They don't know if I'm okay. They don't know how I'm surviving in lockdown. People are suffering just in general. and you know, my GP's quite big and there are loads of staff. And as far as I'm concerned, there must be a percentage um, of patients who are obviously vun really vulnerable. And I feel like mental health patients were overlooked within this. Uh, you know, I don't know anyone who's been called, anyone that I know who is, you know, within the GP suffering mental health issues already existing, whether it's severe or, or not so much. They have not had one call or one checkup. Nobody's checked up on me. And that's my experience. And I just think that is such a shame. And again, it makes you feel forgotten. And it makes, it can really make you feel more depressed, more alone, and ultimately more suicidal for those who start going that way. And it, it breaks my heart, really, because there are loads of people right now, as we record this, who are suffering. And it's just awful, awful to, to think about. I feel exactly the same because I mean, same experience as you really in my, well, in many ways, I mean, my GP knows about my bipolar disorder, um, but I haven't had a single phone call. Mm. I mean, at one point I did have a, I had been referred to a team 
But then apparently I was well enough that I didn't need this team. So I had this letter through a while back, basically sort of saying they'd wash their hands of me, which in a way I was just like, oh, well, that's good. You know, I'm obviously well enough that I don't need your support. But at the same time, when the pandemic hit, I really wasn't in a very good place mentally. Like I was really anxious to start with and I couldn't get hold of my meds. And I, I was the one that was having to ring my GP several times saying, I really need another prescription because the old one that you gave me, the pharmacy, I just couldn't get it because they, you know, they had problems with deliveries at the pharmacy that I was meant to be getting it from. Yeah, anyway, yeah, I had the same. Yeah, I had the same. Can we talk a bit about Kanye and what's going around on around him? Yeah, it's funny because um, I've, I've been speaking a bit about him today, just among friends and stuff. Just speaking about the the creative side of bipolar, actually, in view of Kanye, because I know it's very easy to say people are having a breakdown. And I, I look, I don't know. I don't live with Kanye. I don't know him personally. I, I what I do know, though, is that um, that whole Hollywood scene, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that we don't know about. But I also look at Kanye and I think think to myself that he is somebody and I'm not a particular fan of his I've never gone out and bought his music things like that I I do like a few of his songs but that's about it but I do recognize that he is an absolute genius at what he does he's talented whether you like his music or not he's he's a very talented man um also as a businessman also with his uh, his mobile church and also with his fashion and things like that and as a typical bipolar person he constantly achieves and he you know he's tenacious and he does his thing um but equally what i i recognize part of kanye and myself in a way that when he gets passionate about things and when he gets really he really believes in his point he he becomes incoherent in some ways and his thoughts go all over the place and his emotions come out. And as somebody who obviously suffers bipolar, we know that we get real surges of emotion, especially if we think back to something or even in that moment. And I look at him and I think, yes, he could be having an episode But equally, he could just be so convicted at what he's going through. And he's just hype and he can't quite express himself. It happens to me all the time. I'm not having a turn. I'm just in that moment saying what I'm saying. And I feel passionate about it. But my words and my brain aren't working properly together. That is my kind of take. You, You know, we can look at it the other way and say, well... All the Kardashians, you know, all the men they've ever been with, they've all had problems. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? They've all literally, they've all had problems, right? Whether they've turned to alcoholism or drugs or bipolar or whatever. Yeah, so there are people looking at it like that. You could call that a conspiracy or the Kardashian curse, as some call it. And the other side you could look at as he's having a moment Or I kind of think, I don't know, I'm a bit on the fence. Yes, he has been, he's saying some wild things. But I also just think that actually, if you really listen to him in context, I just think he's speaking his truth, but he can't express himself as he should. And it's just coming out like he's crazy. 
but that's my personal opinion. People might think I'm crazy as well for saying it. <laughs> but it's just so hard to to really sort of know what's going on, isn't it? Because I mean, exactly. Just because of the world that he lives in daily, I mean, it's so alien to pretty much all of us. You know, I mean, it's probably easier for you because you've actually been in the, in the music industry and you understand it. And you've sort of seen those sort of circles and the kind of entourages or basically people that s- surround people. But I mean, for someone like me, like who just sort of had a fairly normal life, the idea of, of sort of living in that world and and also but also being bipolar as well. So the thing is, when I have an exciting, creative idea, you know, I, I make notes about it and I might tell my friends or something. But, you know, Kanye, when he has an exciting, creative idea, he can do he can literally do it because he's got the money to do it. You know, so he does all these amazing things. But at the same time, but then he has these other ideas and and you kind of think, but actually it's sort of I mean, I suppose I, I wonder the same thing about myself sometimes, you know, like how much is the bipolar disorder and how much is me? So with Kanye, I suppose I look at him and I think what how much is is just Kanye is just his personality and and how much, you know, should I be worried about him and and more well more more to the point you know like how much should his family and and friends be worried about him and but it's just it must be a really strange world to live in in the in the first place just because if you're surrounded by yes men and whatever then it doesn't matter what how outlandish or whatever you suggest even if you are actually not not very well people are probably still going to say yes to you yeah but people are also very controlling in the industry as well and you have to follow a certain narrative Otherwise, again, you speak out about things, it's very easy to be discredited. And if you have something like a mental illness, that is what people will use, unfortunately. Um, So, you know, that is how I'm sort of looking at it. He, the likes of us, we don't have fan bases like Kanye. I don't have 30.2 million followers. So if, if I have these ideas, all these notions, all these thoughts, I can't go out. Well, I could, but I don't have as many followers to go out there and, and do all that. And, and I hope that I wouldn't either. But equally, when you are in a position that, I mean, imagine if, it, if we had audience fans, followings who love everything that we do. In a way, you're in a safe place that whether you're having a bipolar moment or not, to go, here are my thoughts, here are my ideas. Because you have this, this, circle of love in a way of adoration but equally you have a flip side where people turn on you very quickly particularly in with social media um but the industry Mm -hmm. can be very controlling and you have to follow a certain narrative and when people don't the first thing people try and do is discredit you and if you've got a mental illness then you're given they've got fodder now to use and that worries me about my own personal life I think, gosh, one day will people do that to me? Because it will be so easy. And there are times where people have tried to do that to me and I have not been unwell. Do you see what I mean? So I think if people could do it to me at my level, they could do it at Kanye's level. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've sort of worried the same thing, just watching this whole whole thing play out. I thought sort of Mm. the same thing, you know, like what if I, you know, what if I wasn't taken seriously for something in my career? Because like you say, you were sort of dismissed because something is to do with your bipolar disorder. I mean, it's a really, Mm. yeah, it's a difficult position that he's in. Yeah. I just hope that he does, you know, get the right support regardless of what it is, um, because it's not a nice place to be. But he seems to have a lot of people around him. But yeah, whether it's 
he is having an episode or whether he's just in a moment where he's really speaking his truth and he feels like he's fighting for himself, then I just wish him well and hope that he he gets whatever he needs because he is a human being after all. And we tend to forget that with celebrities. Can we talk a bit now about um, the things that you've experienced in terms of challenges, in terms of racism and mental health issues throughout your career? <sighs> well, in, in terms of my career, it has had a major contribution to what I believe was the onset of bipolar. I feel like, as my psychologist said, it would have come at some point. He said you'd never have reached an old lady and not have become bipolar, basically, <laughs> is what he said in a nutshell. And I believe him. Um, it's, imagine I have had this career in music and I've had this great time. And as far as I'm, I was concerned, that was it. Music was my life. I was going to be a pop star. I was living that life. I'd worked for that life. And I was brought up to know that if you work hard for something, you'll achieve it and you'll get it. But actually, that's not real life, is it? Life isn't, isn't like that. Um, and, and I wish it was, but it's just not like that, as we know. So when the music ended, it was, it was a shock and it wasn't great. And as I said, I became depressed, got into TV and to be on an institution like CITV was just like, wow. But then my peers were the, the likes of Anton Deck and Stephen Mulhern, who I presented with, you know, every day and Kat Dealey, Tess Daly, Holly Willoughby, because we were all on CITV and some guys whether it's uh, SMTV Live, CITV, we used to work together and hand over and, and things like that. So as you can see, <laughs> 20 years on, they've become household names. And you can look at me and say, well, why hasn't she? Particularly she's going for 20 years. She clearly must have talent. Clearly someone must like her um, for her to still be going. Now, in the beginning, I didn't look at it as a, as a, as a race thing. But in those days, when you did kids telly, it was very much of that is how commissioners found the presenting generation of tomorrow, so to speak. And so they would look at the kids presenters and they would develop them then into mainstream entertainment, Saturday night, shiny floor type show presenting. And they were taking each one. So first of all, it was Ant and Deck, and then it was Holly, and then it was Stephen, etc. And I was made a lot of promises that my time will come and carry on presenting CITV for us. And, um, you know, we'll take you next and blah, blah, blah. And that just didn't happen. So a lot of sort of promises and that messed with my head. But OK, cool. You pick up yourself and you move on. I got headhunted by Disney. And that was great. Disney were fantastic. And... Um, that ended. And then after that, that's when I started experiencing just out and out racism in the industry. Not necessarily nasty, um, like in your face, nasty. However, it's still not, not a nice experience when you are hosting TV shows, for example. So I was obviously working after Disney, hosting various shows. And one example was that a show that I was presenting was launching a new platform on a bigger channel which was more mainstream and me being 
really the, uh, I'll be modest and say one of the most popular presenters on the other one, it would have been a given that I would have been moved across to the, to the more mainstream one, the bigger audience, etc. But my producer turned around and said to me that I was the best presenter they had on the roster and they did have good presenters. However, I'm black. And so people, particularly outside of London, viewers don't really want to see black people on their TV and you won't be accepted and therefore it will damage the show. Black doesn't sell. That was my first time in my face. Did he go, you're black, blah, blah, blah. No, he didn't. Um, Does that mean it's not racist? Well, of course it is. But even when that happened, I remember going home sobbing my heart out on the train just because I thought I can't do anything about the color of my skin. But he said that I'm talented and I'm the best. How does that work? Messed with my head. And I thought, well, he can't be true. So I'm going to go and knock on the door of all the other execs from BBC and ITV and all the others and see what they have to say. And I did. And I got meetings of all of them. And it it goes to show that obviously they must have rated me in, in some capacity or known me because the average Joe Bloggs can't just go and rock on up and get meetings with high power execs at main TV networks. But they'd all say the same thing, to be honest with you, which was black doesn't sell. You're black. You know, the only way that you could really be accepted is if you become famous. So the next question is, well, how do I become famous if I'm not given an opportunity to be famous? And again, remember, social media wasn't really around. So it's not like I had the tools like people have today. And also fame wasn't something that spared me on. It wasn't something that encouraged me necessarily because I'd already experienced fame when I was in the girl band and I lost it. I experienced fame when I was on CITV. You know, I lost it after that and after Disney when there was downtime. So the industry is fickle. You could be famous one minute and non-famous the next. We all know that now. But yeah, I was being pushed that that is the only way to be accepted was to be famous. And my question was, well, how do I do that? And the answers were date a footballer, um, get yourself in the magazines, whether you have to fall out of a cab with your, you know, flash your knickers, whether you have to get in with the cool crowds who are in the Hello magazines and things like that. Whatever it takes, do it. And once you've done that, we can then give you opportunities because it just means that the viewers are already there and they know who you are, whether it's good or bad. And it, that contributed to a breakdown because I couldn't quite get my head around all these execs who could change my life saying, well, you are fantastic. You are brilliant, but we cannot, we we have to put this glass ceiling over you because you are black and this will damage out, out the popularity of our show. How does that work in my mind? But equally I've got people saying that I'm, I'm great at my job and I know that I'm great at my job. So, yeah, that just contributed to a lot of things and it ran, you know, in linear with everything else. So it it hasn't been easy. I mean, it's appalling that you had to sort of go through that. And also the fact that people were saying that sort of flat out to your face. I mean, that in itself is interesting, isn't it? Because we're we're hearing a lot of people talking about now, you know, um, basically microaggressions, all this sort of other stuff. But the fact that you had people who were just literally saying, you can't do, we can't work for us because you're black is, you know. Well, it was very matter of fact. It was very matter of fact. And to them, they thought in that moment they were helping me and they were advising me. And and that's generally, I I never walked out there going, that's a horrible person. They were racist. 
I was more just confused. You know, it took me years to realise, my gosh, that's racism. How have you bounced back from this in terms of in terms of all that? Because it sounds like a real, really difficult time. I've had to fight Yvette. Like I keep going back to, I do not want to die as morbid or whatever as that's it's just real in my right mind I want to live when I'm in my bad mind it goes all over the place and that's the place that I'm afraid of how I have coped and managed is because it really is do or die sink or swim and I realized this is over the last eight years of battling obviously you get to know yourself you get to know your condition you get to know the demon that you're fighting, so to speak. You get to know the cross that you have to bear. And it's not easy. And But every day is a learning curve. But yet I learn more and more about myself. And what I realized only in the last couple of years that I wake up every morning, I have to make that decision. Are you going to sink or swim today? And some days I go, I'm sinking. I can't. I can't do it today. I'm going to lie on the sofa. I'm not going to get dressed. I'm just not going to do anything. I still have those days. I had that day yesterday. But equally, when I drop down, wherever I go, I have to bounce back up. I have to. I have to find it within myself. I just have to. And there are some really dark days I have, but I have to fight it. And now you're doing these brilliant Instagram lives, which is fantastic. You've got a great following on there. Um, you also have a training academy, am I right? What's that called? Is it Red Carpet Academy? Yeah, the Red Carpet Academy. And um, that basically came about of me wanting to share a platform so that other people could share their stories and, and their voices. It came out a time where I had had an operation. I was in the middle of my bipolar episode. And I just, I was afraid. I didn't want to use my voice but yeah, I wanted to help other people, even in my own mess. I wanted to help other people use theirs. And it ended up just being a lot of business people and entrepreneurs. But 80% women just seemed to gravitate to me. There was something about me and they didn't even know my story yet. Nobody knew about my bipolar. Nobody knew my battle. I would be there, you know, with shiny bells on giving 110% and I do these workshops for a day or three day course and I would go home afterwards and I would cry. I would sob because I'd given all my energy to these people in good heart and they would take it and they'd say, you're so amazing. And I'd listen to their stories and they would inspire me and I'd think, I can't even speak my story. I can't even admit of who I am and what I have and what my struggles are. Until a year ago, that's the first time I spoke about it. And that's how now I have this following and, and the support. I had a lot more support than I, I thought I did. Um, so, yeah, that's how the Red Carpet Academy came about. And it's been great. Now I see so many people that I've trained on Facebook Lives, on Instagram Lives. They've got YouTube channels and they're speaking their truths and they're interviewing other people. And it's brilliant that that came about a time of such darkness for me. And I'm glad I did it. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.